terrible madness of war. We need to stop bombing people's homes. It's not anti-European. Stop sending arms into conflict zones. It's common sense. Millions of Europeans struggle to feed their families and heat their homes. All wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. When he is going to wake up and start living in the real world? Thank you. Buongiorno tutti, back again in Strasbourg, down in the dungeons. Most people have gone home. We're waiting to come in for the last blast on a few items. Um, but before we do, we are here as I foresee trouble again. Um, and again, another week without much respite for the people of Gaza. Um, our plenary here, you would think it would have been dominated by the catastrophe, but no, while we had to use every effort to come in on every debate we could to try and trigger their consciences, apart from maybe a little bit of a shift around, oh, we need to do more and a truce and humanitarian efforts and being balanced, there really hasn't been much of a shift from the EU, or certainly not from the Parliament. What do you think in this week where there's a much heralded talk of a truce or a lullaby or a lull or some sort of a yoke, but it's definitely well short of a ceasefire and there's been no ceasefire called here in these last few days except by us? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a bit mad. Um, truth be told, the majority of, vast majority of MEPs uh, still don't want to call for a ceasefire and as we've been pointing out with over 5,000 children dead and over 3,000 women dead in Gaza killed by the Israelis um, it means if you don't want a ceasefire it means you're actually okay with the slaughter to continue and as we've been pointing out to him uh, on a number of occasions this week I mean, how dare they talk about violence against women and not mention the amount of women that have been killed in Gaza? How dare they talk about human rights in Hong Kong when they don't give a damn about the lack of human rights for the Palestinians? I mean, the level of hypocrisy um, has probably reached a new level. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's more blatant than ever before. And you just wonder, I mean, do, do they not see the harm they're doing to the institution of the European Union and to the, the whole idea of a United Europe project? I mean, this is doing untold damage. Yeah, and I mean, the rights of the child was another one that we marked the day of World Children's Day with so many children being slaughtered in Gaza. Again, the hypocrisy stank from the place. But I mean, I think obviously they were making much play on this idea of a a truce, which hasn't happened as we sit here, but is expected in the coming days. And before those days have happened, the Israelis have again gone on yet another rampage, uh, killing as many more people as they can before that truce, presumably before they do it again. And this is a so-called deal to release uh, women and children um, who are hostage in return for women and children, so-called prisoners that the Israelis have heard. Um, Now, you know, if people were paying attention, this 
offer was on the table from the beginning, but Israel refused to negotiate it. Not that they don't negotiate, because they clearly do, but because their pride was wounded and they wanted to have an orgy of savagery before they'd even contemplate sitting down and talking about releasing um, prisoners. So now we have 50% of Gaza in dust, over 13,000 dead, 1.7 million displaced, starving people. I mean, I thought you summed it up really well today about where this is going. It is the Nakba all over again. And, you know, I think you sort of were saying about, well, these humanitarian pauses, they're just an excuse to facilitate this. Yeah, um I mean, there's a handful of aid trucks going into Gaza, but it's really a cynical public relations uh, effort. And um, the, 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 all the talk they have about humanitarian corridors and pauses in the shelling, I mean, these are vehicles to facilitate the depopulation of Gaza. They refuse to mention the word genocide in here. They refuse to mention ethnic cleansing. They're saying that, oh, Israel can't be allowed to take over the Gaza Strip again. And but in actual fact, they're facilitating it. The same as for years, they kept saying, oh, there has to be a two-state solution. But then they watched silently as Israel uh, made over 300 illegal settlements in the last number of years. And the, the truth be told as well, that the two-state solution has become a fig leaf for inaction. It's... it's a, a, it's a way of allowing Israel to continue with the settler colonial project. It literally facilitates Zionism. And they're just, they're just hiding behind it. But unfortunately, I mean, oh, this, you know, people are kind of fooled by it. Oh, should that be a great idea, two states? Well, they've actually made it impossible. Mm. Bar, there's a return to the 1967 borders. Now, the chances of that now are pretty slim. So if there isn't going to be a return to the 67 borders, as we've said before, what that means is that Israel needs to be ostracised 100% by the international community until they, they agree to live in harmony with the Palestinians the two, the, two, the two peoples in the one state, human rights for all, equality for all. And it's up to the international community. They did it in South Africa and they can do it here. And they have to start by introducing an arms uh, embargo. They cannot keep feeding arms into Israel to kill Palestinians. These people are, we're, we're not giving arms to the Palestinians. Uh, but what we are giving them to Israel, so we're we're literally arming Israel to kill Palestinians. I mean, it's just shocking. I mean, well, I mean, I think it's very clear here as well that even if we did give arms to the Palestinians, it wouldn't be a solution. Which is not. the uh, the irony about uh, the contrast between the approach to Ukraine and the approach on Israel. I thought it was interesting that Faradkar this week tried to sort of present. He did a couple of things. He was on his little visit in that general area and he was kind of talking about the hypocrisy of some member states and the double standards in the approach to Ukraine and the approach to Israel. Now, what he was trying to do by those remarks was two things as far as I'm concerned. The first thing he was trying to do was say that the approach the European Union took to Ukraine was okay. Uh, and that they need to replicate that for uh, Israel. And the second thing he was trying to say was that we in Ireland have been great um, and we're trying to push the European Union. Neither of those things is actually correct um, because in actual fact, you know, 
the response that the Irish did to Ukraine, arm in Ukraine, sanction, that wouldn't help anybody in Palestine. No more than it's helped anybody in Ukraine. It hasn't. All that that's done has enabled Ukrainians to keep the war going so they could continue dying for the arms contracts. And now it's interesting, while the world is looking at Gaza, the Ukrainians who we were going to stand with forever and do as long as it takes are being sidelined and sort of told, lads, you're going to have to sit down uh, and have a bit of peace talking here at some stage, which is exactly what we said all those months ago, is that sit down, negotiate, except that their negotiating hand is far worse now. And the attitude of the Irish government is not consistent. So how dare Varadkar suggest that? Because we've had MEPs and TDs draping themselves in the Ukrainian flag, flying out to Kiev, screaming and roaring about Russia being expelled from football, about burning Russian books nearly all this nonsense which was nonsense and we wouldn't want to see it and we stand against that but they're not doing any of that indignant shouting and roaring uh, about Israel they're kind of going on oh spiral of violence still a bit the two sides yeah Israel have to behave even as Israel are not behaving yeah um, people will 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 gradually see that uh, these two conflicts are actually connected more than they Mm. realise uh, we opposed um, the guns being pumped into Ukraine to keep the war going. The same as we we, we have never suggested that they arm either side uh, in the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict uh, because it doesn't help matters. And uh, as you say, there's there's rumblings now of of, of a form of ceasefire when they're actually coming to the reality that uh, Ukraine can't win this war even with all the Western support it got. And that was pretty obvious from the start, mm. that they weren't going to win the war. And yet most of the EU decisions that were made in, uh, since the war started were based on the premise that, oh, Ukraine must win. Well, we'd have had a nuclear war before Ukraine would have actually won. Mm. So what we've done, in we blocked the peace talks in April 2022. We didn't do anything to stop the war starting. We've done nothing to stop it when it did start. And we've pumped all these billions of euros worth of arms into Ukraine. Money belongs to the European taxpayer. We've pumped it into Ukraine. And what's the result? They claim... They reckon that close to 200,000 Ukrainian working class kids have died in this war. Now, they don't have an official number, but even if it's 100,000, I mean, what a horrific figure. And we have helped that to happen. And the people in in the European Union, the MEPs and the senior officials that have been promoting this US-NATO proxy war all along, they weren't going to fight in the war. Mm. They were visiting our aid, but not to the war zone, and they weren't never going to fight in it. Working class Ukrainians and working class Russians have died in crazy numbers, all for nothing. Mm. And we are, we've literally become uh, like a pawn of US empire. And von der Leyen has played a huge role in helping to make that happen. Sadly, too many of the politicians in the European Parliament and in the member states, like Ireland, have actually been uh, led along by the nose and played the same game to suit the interests of US. It is absolutely shocking and history will not be kind to them. Absolutely not. And I think one of the things, and you touched on it earlier, and we'll come back to the EU war machine and Ireland's role in it in terms of Michal Martin, the great 
unraveller of our sovereignty who wants to give up the triple lock in a minute. But one of the points you made earlier, Mick, about the the sort of failure to recognise Palestinian women and children as equal. Now, and that is absolutely at the heart of this, is a disgusting racism deep in the psyche of many of these. You know, when we talk about European values, what are we talking about? A lot of countries here were former colonial powers like who raped and pillaged in their history. That's what made them being the the empires that they were. And that's sort of in the psyche because you can even tell it in the, you know, the remarks now when the ground is shifting. And I thought Metzola's remarks at the start of the plenary were interesting and a little bit scary if you dissect them a bit because she was going on about violence against women and all that in her opening remarks and she said she'd visited Israel on behalf of the parliament which is actually not true because she certainly wasn't doing it on our behalf but anyway she talked about where children were mutilated tortured and taken how she'd met with their parents how for 44 days later these children were still in the clutches of Hamas and we must help bring them home and all of this these were her opening nothing Obviously not, we we are opposed to any children being victimised anywhere. But then she went on about meeting the Palestinian children, including the people we brought into the parliament last week, young Fatima, um, who had lost 55 members of her family. And she kind of talked about, oh, well, the horror of, of parents there and all this. But then she went on, she said, will they have a chance to get over that? Will we be able to convince them of the value of hope over extremism? That was her first thing. So she wasn't really caring about the kids who were dead or their future. She was worried, would the legacy of that be blowback, that they might turn to extremism? Well, should we all know that terrorism and these things do stem from that exactly that type of thing. But then she went on, but our hearts must be big enough to care for all these children, all these innocent victims, and our minds must be big enough to give them hope. What are you on about? Like, I mean, what person other than a sick racist wouldn't consider Palestinians any less than a white child? And it's embedded in their psyche that non-white children are of less value. And that is the disgusting reason why they can sleep at night while even now children are being tortured, screaming, left without limbs, left without their parents. And even if they manage to get through this bombing, they're going to be traumatised for the rest of their lives. Everything they've known is bombed to bits like. And it's racism at the heart of it. Yeah, well, uh, there's no shortage of it in here. Uh, but on the issue of hostages, right, it was interesting in this morning in the Israeli newspaper Haratz and they were talking about uh, Israel not looking to get the hostages released until about uh, 10 days ago. Uh, Qatar has obviously been involved in it, but for a number of weeks there was no effort made to get the hostages back because they actually didn't care about them. But the Haratz newspaper pointed out this morning that the security establishment's understanding that the outcry of the hostages' families is arousing broad public support and that it will be difficult to continue with a ground manoeuvre in the southern Gaza Strip should public Public anger over what will be perceived as abandoned women and children increase. In other words, there's been a deal done to get women and children hostages back so that they can continue to kill Palestinian women and children in Gaza. That's literally what the Haaretz newspaper is saying today. Mm. And this is an Israeli newspaper. 
That is absolutely shocking. And you would think, you would think, listening to the MEPs this week, that the, the decision by Israel to do a deal with Hamas on, on a prisoner swap, as if Israel, this was wonderful on the part of Israel. Just, I know, the deal sick. was on the table. Like there was, it was obvious from day one that that negotiation was there to be had and they've completely abandoned the families. I think what's interesting as well and we really don't know is that there's more and more evidence now coming out about what actually happened on October the 7th and the truth is nobody really knows but it does need a full public inquiry. There was a senior advisor to the Israeli government on, uh, I think it was CNN or one of the outlets where he talked about the Israelis revising down the number of casualties because some of the bodies were so badly burnt and that, that they'd actually turned out to be Palestinians. They weren't Israelis in that, but it sort of led people to believe that that type of injury could only have been inflicted by the Israeli Defence Forces themselves. And this idea of them carpet bombing a bit of that area, killing their own people, that has yet to be investigated and we obviously don't know what happened but what we absolutely do know is that we don't know and that Israel has previously supported Hamas so this idea that it's a battle between good and evil and they're the good guys under siege is just total nonsense when they control the whole strip it's the most surveilled part of the planet like you know. I actually thought it was going to take him a while before to start talking about human rights anywhere else again for a Mm. while. I, I thought now that it would kind of have to die down a bit mm. uh, before they'd have the neck to talk about human rights anywhere else. But in actual fact, this week, they were given out again about Iran. They were given out again about Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, right, where despite the fact that we've had about, I'd say, seven debates on Hong Kong since we came in here four and a half years ago, not one protester in Hong Kong, has been killed by Chinese police yet. Not one. And they were standing up yesterday in the chamber, giving out about human rights abuses in Hong Kong. Mother of God. And I I actually, I pointed out to them, well, first of all, they were oblivious to the fact that Chinese President President Xi Jinping went to America uh, last week to try and build bridges with the Americans and saying that we've a lot more to benefit both of us if we cooperate and work together, especially around the climate crisis, uh, than we have to be in conflict. The Chinese are making the move, a peaceful move. Despite the ones, the fact that they didn't, they're not the ones uh, who have all the warships around America. Amer- China now is ringed with warships, uh, U.S. warships and some European, ringed by military bases uh, in in the South China Sea and uh, in the land office, and but yet the Chinese have gone to America looking uh, to build bridges, and. But when they were giving out about human rights abuses, I said, how have you had the neck to talk about Hong Kong when most of you support a genocide in Gaza? And I says, can we not talk about the right to protest and freedom of expression being taken away by France and Germany, I said. Can we talk about the French and German police brutalising and arresting thousands of protesters in the streets and German forces raiding people's homes for showing solidarity with the besieged Palestinian people on social media. These are scary times. And I, and I said, how can you throw stones at anybody when you have the blood of over 5,000 children on your hands? Mm. I, and I just pointed out that the moral bankruptcy of European exceptionalism doesn't know any bounds. 
Well, exactly. And it is interesting that we had motions and resolutions which we voted on on Iran and on Russia and given out and on Hong Kong and no resolution. We couldn't get the agreement of the parliament to have a resolution about Palestine. I mean, what does that say? And the whole discussion was framed in the context of releasing the hostages and humanitarian aid and completely ignoring the giant genocide in the room. Well, I mean, I think the people across Europe are really looking at this and the penny is beginning to drop. Um, I think an interesting rebuke for the Irish government has been actually that the um, Belgian government have been quite good. They've actually been better than the Irish government in terms of this. They have passed legislation uh, akin to our Occupied Territories Bill that Francis Black had been spearheading for years in Ireland. Um, and the Irish government have repeatedly told us, oh no, it can't be done because of the EU. Uh, the Belgians have managed to pass legislation uh, on that and they've been pretty uh, vocal and pretty good. Way better, actually, I would say, uh, than Ireland is doing. And I mean, I think we have to look at what's going on now in the context of we had a very long uh debate, which we didn't manage to get in on, on possible treaty changes and where the European Union is going at the moment. And if you have any doubts about this, it is hurdling in the direction of a defence union. And that is the wishes of the European Parliament coming out of that debate. And there's something very scary about the fact that in the day after, or the same day, when the European Parliament voted to establish a defence union, and a defence union that would include military unions, units, including a permanent rapid deployment capacity, that means an EU standing army, under the operational command of the union. So it's basically an EU army and that the member states would provide additional capabilities. So that would, and missions that they'd go on would be decided by qualified majority voting. So basically what you'd have is an EU army, which... The big states could decide. We wouldn't have a veto to block it. And on the same day that the Parliament supports that position, Michal Martin comes out with the idea that he is going to get rid of the triple lock, which is the basis upon which we send foreign troops abroad. And we can only do that if the Dáil agrees, which is our Parliament, if the government agrees and if it has a UN mandate. So the missions he wants us to go on are ones that don't have an EU mandate, a UN mandate missions that would have an EU mandate, which means exactly where are we going to go? Mali with the French to go and pillage down there? Or where are we going to go? This this is very, very serious development. Oh, it's terrible. And um, it was interesting, but when you, when, you, when you talk about that and about the veto and all, right, and Ireland said, oh, we don't want Russia and China vetoing uh, where we can go and where not go. Um, Craig McIver, a director uh, at the UN High Commission for Human Rights, he resigned uh, a few weeks ago and he, he put out an absolutely powerful letter and he explained why he resigned because it not only had the UN failed the Palestinians, he said, but he says the UN has bowed to the powers of Western powers. Uh, they've bowed to, to the US. They've been captured, he said, by US power. And he's, this is a guy that was high up in the UN. He's resigned from the UN and he, he's a human rights lawyer and he's been in there for over 30 years and he's resigned uh, because he can't stay there anymore. The hypocrisy is too bad for him. And he's given out about the terrible influence that the... Uh, 
the US are actually having on UN decision making. The leadership in the UN has cowered to them. They are scared of the Americans. They've been captured by them. And But he went at great lengths to explain that the majority of people working in the UN uh, genuinely care about all people in the world. They genuinely care about human rights. But he says, sadly, the leadership, he says, has been captured. Well, that's a really important point because the Irish government are using this idea that the UN doesn't work. And we would say the UN doesn't work for the reasons you've just outlined and that guy Craig uh, very much outlined. That's not the reasons why the Irish government are saying this. Oh, Russia and China could block us on peacekeeping missions, even though that has never happened. There have been huge, there hasn't been an overall peacekeeping mission uh, from the UN in 10 years, but there's been loads of regional ones and all of the regional ones have had their mandate re, uh, refilled. Ireland only once was stopped from going somewhere and that was because it was deemed that the resources were more important somewhere else. Um, The idea that we couldn't be involved or that we'd be blocked is nonsense. The problems that the UN are facing is that some of the monies that member states and countries were paying them has been reduced because they're too busy flipping fuel and militarism elsewhere, also because of the level of non-state actors involved. So there are complications, but there's no substitute to a multilateral world organisation. And the idea that we would be sending troops, let's remember now that the Irish government have already pulled back our peacekeeping troops from Lebanon in order to have resources to go to an EU battle group. And we're supposed, and even with doing that, they can't get enough soldiers to sign up for that. So instead, some of their, and I don't know what way the parties voted, but we're looking at a defence union with a standing army, which all member states would have to subscribe to. Are we talking about the men and women of the Irish Defence Force being frog-marched off to some stupid fight that someone like Ursula von der Leyen sparked on all our behalfs or on the behest of her friends in Israel or something and Irish young fellas and young ones will be sent out to be part of that. Is that what Ireland wants? It certainly bloody doesn't and Michal Martin is clearly on a power grab knowing that he's not going to get elected after the next election and he wants to change our legislation and water down our commitment. Well, I can tell you he has a fight on his hands. I, I think that I really feel that it's important now that Sinn Féin speaks up uh, this is a time for Sinn Féin to make it very clear that they don't want to break the link with the UN. They don't want the triple lock uh, taken away. Uh, we have to, The UN mightn't be as powerful and independent as we'd like it to be, but it's still the best we've got and we've got to respect it and we've got to work with it and try and make it better and make it independent again. And we have... Going down this route now of doing away with the triple lock is not the way for Ireland to go. It's not the way for a country that uh, likes the idea of having some form of neutrality. But sadly, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are in a different space and they want us to drag us into these stupid war games being fought by uh, big powers. Uh, It's all... on most of them imperialist wars whether it's the Russians or whether it's the Americans or whoever's doing it we have no they don't concern us we have we shouldn't be having anything to do with them if they want to play those games the elites love war because they make loads of money from it but it's the working class who die in it mm. and I don't care who's starting war it's all wrong and people should never forget that on the 24th of February 2022 we were out of the traps condemning the illegal invasion of Ukraine 
by Russia. They invaded a sovereign country and we condemned it. But so many people that had been beating the drum on that, uh, they've refused to condemn a, a genocide now in Gaza. They refused to condemn the invasion of Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq, what went on in Syria, the destruction in Yemen, the invasion of Libya. I mean, it... I mean, people need to see through this. They need to see the level of hypocrisy that's, been, that's taken place. And they, should, they need to see what Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are really about. Yeah, and I, I think you're totally right. And I think a lot of people now have seen it over the conflict in Palestine. Because if you think about it, it's nearly two years now into the Ukraine war. Imagine if Ireland had been an actively neutral country back then and had done what we did, condemned the invasion, but called for peace talks. We were on the Security Council. Mexico was on it as a, as a neutral country. They were pushing it. If we had promoted and pushed a peace initiative at that time, we could have been instrumental in saving what's gone on for the last two years. People can see now how our role in the Palestine conflict globally, uh, you know, Israel is given out about Ireland because we're seen to be arguing for uh, right for Palestinians uh, as it should be um, and I think that's an important role that we could play but look at it it's one to watch we're going to be coming back to that because there is and I think your point Mick Sinn Féin are serious now they'll make it abundantly clear that when they get to power they'll reverse any deal and that Fianna Fáil or anybody else who wants to do business with them has to agree to reinstating the triple lock if Fianna, so Fianna Fáil might as well not bother doing it that kind of thing yeah. but, uh, I mean oh yeah Sinn Féin have to commit to undoing uh, what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are getting up to at the moment. And Sinn Féin, when they do get into power, uh, should be committed. They should commit now to unravelling it. And that's without that's even without even mentioning the Greens, who should be absolutely dragged over the coals on this. But on the Green issue as well, we had another example this week of how people's belief that the European Parliament and institutions is the, are these bastions of progress and environmental friendliness was dealt another cruel blow in the three-hour debates that we had the other day here. Oh, stop. Yeah. Um, the pesticide regulation. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a bit heartbreaking, really. But what we had was we had uh, the EPP, the Fine Gael's group, uh, joining forces with the far right to completely undermine the sustainable pesticide regulation which is meant to replace the current sustainable use directive um, which is deemed not to be delivering the required results regarding implementation of the integrated pest management right uh, I mean there's a lot of stuff in it right but really it was about improving the quality of our food. It was about reducing the, the the use and risk of chemical pesticides by 50% by 2030 and uh, banning the use of pesticides in, in certain sensitive areas like schools and parks and that kind of stuff, um, and playgrounds. EPP set out to decimate it and they had the support of the far right and unfortunately they had a strong element of support from Fianna Fáil's group Renew and they've been crucial for an awful lot of the watering down of environmental measures uh, in the last while. Because what we've had is we've had EPP working with the far right, but they're short of a majority between them and they need some of Renew to go with them. And they've been getting it. 
because we have we we've rather seen some awful uh, watering downs of stuff, right? Now, listen, the the uh, we haven't time to talk about it today, right? But the nature restoration log uh, finished in trial log last week, and we need to talk about it another day. And obviously, that was badly watered down. Uh, through the the whole over the year in the parliament and all as well right but uh, at least it's better than nothing and there is some good after coming out of it uh, the the commission and council and the parliament when they sit down to the trilogue when they did sit down they actually made they've improved on the parliament position which had been decimated by EPP in the far right mm-hmm. with the help of Renew again but they've actually improved it a bit and what, now even though we have lost some things uh, some of the uh, some crucial elements have been restored to it as well but we'll deal with it another week Well I think it is important because we're seeing this shift now throughout a whole lot of policy areas and it's only going to get worse in the run up to the European elections now next June because what you're seeing is against the backdrop of an alienation of many citizens from the establishment in Europe, the far right are trying to capitalise on that, banging the drum, trying to blame migrants and refugees for all the problems of Europe that are actually caused by those in power, not by refugees in the first place, but because those in power are handling the situation so badly, a lot of people are ending up in the arms of the far right. And rather than dealing with the issues head on, actually the EPP, Fine Gael's group and Renew a bit more to, to uh, Fianna Fáil's group are facilitating that racist rhetoric. Uh, they are enabling and taking on the language of the far right, which is exactly why you have what we saw in the Netherlands last night, the election of a likely new prime minister of a really far right uh, individual. You're going to see that across Europe. So the biggest danger, if you like, to that rise of extremism and racism across Europe is actually the centre, because they're the ones who have been the reason why the far right have grown because they fail to answer the problems of ordinary people. Then they adopt their clothes and they go in that direction. And we're going to see more of that. I mean, we saw massive dogfights here in the last few days as well between different political forces in the different member states. Now, I should add, to their credit, um, the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil MEPs yesterday didn't vote on the EPP side on all the pesticide stuff. So... Uh, people should check out the voting for themselves. So I, I just I think we should make that point. Uh, so they're actually I actually think that Fine Gael are conscious of the fact that they find it very hard to stand over an awful lot of what the the uh, EPP group are actually doing at the moment. Well, they particularly do because we're here yeah. and that there's four people in the left yeah. group and the, and that other force yeah. is that it, the word will get back home. It certainly helps, yeah. Well, we know they watch every bits of our votes and they go against their groups when it suits them to cover their own skins, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, the people at home need to realise that the EPP group in particular are going further and further to the far right in order to try and capture some of that vote that they see coming for the far right in the next elections. Mm. And uh, what happened in the Netherlands yesterday was is going to add to that mm. because they see that uh, they're starting to think that they're actually not far right enough uh, for a lot of the people today. And uh, that's why they obviously... Not, I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're extremely right-wing anyway for me, but, right? but they're going further to the right uh, to try and uh, 
capture mm. this, this, this new far-right vote that's growing across Europe. And it's growing because the so-called uh, centrists, so-called, uh, are actually abandoning the people and mm. they're serving the interests of elites rather than their own people. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, we saw that visibly with the situation in Spain. There was a debate here about Spain, which should never have been tabled here. It was an internal matter in Spain. But the new socialist government have, well, when I say socialist, they're not socialist, but they're the Socialist Party, to be a bit like our Labour Party. Um, but they've pulled together a, a, a government with uh, some of the left and uh, with the relying on the votes of the Catalan separatists, the ones who were in jail and that. And to get their vote, they had to give them an amnesty. Well, the far right and Franco inheritors have been apoplectic about this and there was a bloodbath in here between all of the Spaniards yesterday but exactly your point I mean the far right were able to pinpoint the hypocrisy of the socialists um, who previously had been saying oh you could never have an amnesty and these Catalans were lawless now when it suited them they stood rhetoric on their head of course the far right are no better but this is what you're dealing with and it's incredibly dangerous because now Franco flags are re-emerging in Spain Um, Franco and the far right around Vox are organising total Islamophobia, seriously dangerous um, attacks on left-wing groups, offices. Europe is becoming a very, very dangerous place. And exactly as history taught us, it's that middle ground who conceded to the far right, uh, who adopted their They're the ones who are responsible for it, which shows we need to be very careful going into the next elections. And that very point is directly linked to the European Union's attitude to promoting the Ukraine war, to their failure uh, to stand up for the, the oppressed Palestinians now in Gaza and and their support for the settler colonial Israel. This is all linked. Absolutely. 100%. So, look at... Um this is our second last Strasbourg of the year. We're going back up now to do battle again uh, for the last hurrah. And uh, we'll talk to everybody from Brussels next week after a nice weekend of Mansoura Daffy coming to Dublin for his book signing in Connolly Books on Saturday afternoon. Uh, he's beginning his tour of Ireland and uh, we'll be on the, the marches and organising over the coming days. All the best. Ciao.